All right. This episode's guest is the man, the myth, the legend. That is Dan Baker. Dr. Dan Baker is currently the president of the Australian Strength and Condition Association. Previously, Dan had been the strength and power coach for the world-famous Brisbane Broncos rugby league team for 20 years, leading them to four titles. Not limited to just one organization, Dan has an extensive coaching career with the Queensland Reds rugby union team, as well as coaching elite athletes in mixed martial arts, diving, soccer, netball, track and field, and of course, powerlifting. Unlike most PhDs, he does not work full-time as a lecturer or in the lab. He trains athletes in the field. And on this episode, Dan gives us a little bit about his background. We talk about the mission of the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association. I asked Dan about supply versus demand in terms of professional strength and conditioning jobs. I asked Dan about what qualifications strength and conditioning coaches should need to work with youth athletes. We talk about Dan's six-stage long-term athlete development model. I asked Dan about how he builds trust with his athletes. I asked Dan about the importance of keeping stats and records of your programming. I asked Dan what changes has he seen in the athletes that he coaches today than the athletes that he coached in the past. What's next for Dr. Dan Baker? I asked Dan what sacrifices did he have to make during his coaching career. I asked Dan about his learning process. I asked Dan, is there anything that he does on a daily basis that is essential to his day? Dan shares with us his top resources, books, and current book recommendation. And finally, I asked Dan if he could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would he invite and why? Guys, this was a savage episode with the legend that is Dan Baker, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. All right, Baker, you absolute legend. Thank you so much for making time. I really appreciate it. Just for anyone who isn't familiar with who you are, which I would say be very few people listen to this, just give us a bit of a background. Uh, I'm 54 years of age. I've been a strength and conditioning coach uh, basically all my life. Uh, so I'm president of the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association. been president mm-hmm. of that since 2004. And uh, I suppose I did my CSCS in 1988 and my ASCA qualifications through the uh, 90s and, and later. Uh, got a PhD in sports science. Um, and I worked at the Brisbane Broncos. I suppose that's the most famous thing I did. I worked there for 19 years, won four premierships, but I worked with uh, uh, the Queensland Reds and Rugby Union, the Wallabies. Uh, I've done workshops for the Irish Rugby Union, the English Rugby Union, the French Rugby Union. I don't know. Stuff like that. And got about 40-something peer-reviewed journal articles and another lot, probably the same amount of ASCA ones. So, uh, and I work with other, other sports as well, like you know, Olympic diving, powerlifting, first competing powerlifting, powerlifting coach, um, stuff like that. So probably just... a around a long time. <laughs> Come here, tell me this. Uh, uh, just a personal question between me and you. How are the hips? Yeah. How's, how's your knee, by the way? Yeah, they're all pretty good, mate. I squatted this morning. Uh, it's my medium workout. This as week. always, as always. 
so I went up to uh, for my medium workouts. So it's about eighty percent. I did five on uh, one fifty this morning. So nice. no problems. Um, my squat is just affects how much uh, how, how much I'm traveling. Sometimes affects how much you can train. And if you get too many long commutes, I get a bit. Uh, Body gets a beat up just sitting in a plane for a while in, in cattle class, economy class. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is the third time I've flown to Europe this year. So plus I've got lots of trips to China and India. So there's lots of flights I do. I had three flights in four, da- three flights in four days once this year in May wow. where they were 12.30 a.m. flights. So I slept sitting upright in economy class on a Monday night, Tuesday night and a Thursday night. So that's what can affect your, uh, your, your, your health of your hips and, and uh, neck and shoulders a lot. So just sitting in economy. <laughs> yeah, as, as myself and uh, Ali McFarlane can attest to last year when we, we gave you some treatment at St. Mary's. Yeah, that was quite good. So uh, we, we, got, we got your toe touch back. Yeah, 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 that was pretty bad at that stage. So I've been pretty good since then. So thank you very much. Very good, very good. Come here, I actually never knew you've been president of the uh, ASCA since two thousand and four. Yes. Wow, I knew you were president, but I didn't know you'd been president for fifteen years. That is some going. And just before, just so for the listeners, the topic I, I really wanted to get Dan to speak on today was long-term athlete development because he's a fantastic model that he's I've seen him present on twice, once in Ireland and one in St Mary's. But before I get into that, Dan. Just tell us a little more about the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association because you guys have been making a big push, particularly lately over the last year, two, three years, to really up the standards of strength and conditioning in terms of accreditation. Like you, like speaking to you last year, you know, I could just sense like the passion from you from that as if it's kind of like your new sort of mission at the moment. Like whereas maybe a couple of years back it was you were very much in the trenches doing the practical research. It seems like this chapter of your life is very much about a legacy you want to leave behind saying, listen, no more bullshit. We don't want cowboys in our industry. We want to be respected like a medical profession. Um, just maybe just talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, Robbie. Uh, exactly. So in Australia, we don't have one flat line level of certification. So we have uh, four different levels of certificates of ASCA and seven or eight different strata. So we have level zero, which is for mum and dads, no barbell work. It's a short course Basically, bodyweight exercises, sprint mechanics, don't kill the kids. How to warm up, don't kill the kids. What we found, our Australian government did research and found most kids' coaches are unqualified, but they still take warm-ups. They still do, you know, and we don't want them to say, oh, there's someone's training program. Let's do this with an eight-year-old or something. So it's basically don't kill the kids. That's level zero. So it's not a full certificate, but we call it level zero certificate. Then we have level one, which is for university students and personal trainers. And then the real certificate, uh, which could be uh, what we say is our level of a professional coach. So if you aspire to be a full-time coach, it's our level two certificate. And then there's level three, which is uh, you don't need to do that, but it's often people do it for their own PD after being a strength coach for eight or ten years. Mm. Um, Now, from level two, the Australian government has mandated that any sport receives government funding at any level can only hire... ASCA strength conditioning staff. And if they're in high performance, which means they're Olympic sports or, or, or they're Olympic level athletes or pro level, like uh, the professional rugby league, rugby union, can only use ASCA level two. 
So lower level sports can use level zero and level one because they get no money or it's free or cheap or whatever. But uh, where the athletes are receiving government funding, they're high performance, so Olympic Commonwealth Games, something like that, or pro sports, must be ASCA level two, professional coach accreditation scheme. So we have this thing called a professional coach accreditation scheme. Once you have level two or are at least completing it, which it can take a while, you can apply for your ranking. So it's based on having level two or completing level two and how many years of experience you have and also what is the level of the athletes you are training. So if you've got less than two years experience or you're just still completing level two, you can apply for what's called an associate level. Mm. So a lawyer at a law firm, associate uh, lawyer. After two years full-time experience with athletes, now remember, personal training hours don't count for shit. Okay? They don't count. We're only talking about hours with athletes. Mm -hmm. Personal training, fat mums and um, dads and, you know, whatever you train with personal training, I don't know. That doesn't count. Two years full-time with athletes. Now, if you don't work full-time, maybe you're a personal trainer, you've got to keep a log of your hours, how many with athletes this week, how many with personal training. So it might take you four or five years like that. But two years full-time experience, then you become what's called a professional coach. And then after six years, but it's going to go to eight with in high performance, which is Olympic or professional, you can apply for elite. So you, your designation would be elite strength conditioning coach. Mm. And then if you have level three and 10 years experience with uh, at least two different sports, you can apply then for master coach. And we might add another level in or something in a few years uh, to pin the gap between professional and elite because uh, there's some people who've got more years of experience but they're working with high schools but they've got eight or ten years of experience or 15 years of experience but working high school athletes so we'll probably have to bring something in there to uh, recognize that level of experience which is beyond say two years but it's not with elite athletes uh, but it still should be rewarded uh, that level of knowledge in the industry is uh, quite good so that that's our system in australia and um, because of that, people around the world want that because they have a tiered system. They have something that is aspirational. Yeah. Level one now, then I can get level two, then I can climb up this rank. Because that's what happens with the, uh, the doctors and the physical therapists in, in Australia. They have uh, levels based on when they graduated and how many years experience they have, at least in the, in the public hospital system. That's how they get pay rises. Uh, they're classified three or four different levels. Uh, so we're following exactly like a profession. We use the word associate, same as a lawyer law firm does. We don't use any, another term. Um, the other thing is uh, in Australia, it's this thing that's took off in the IC in the United States and people try to copy it in Australia where you don't pay people. So you get to work for me for six months and um, for free and then I might give you a job. That's illegal in Australia, in any industry, any industry. They, they call that an internship. Yeah. No, it's illegal. Internship in Australia is part of your course. So if you've got your ASA level two, Brilliant. you can't intern. You've already got it. You've got it. You can be asked to do a work trial for less than a day, a day or less. That's government law. After that, you're being paid. There is no unpaid six months and we might see how you go and then give you like a job at $2,000. Impossible. Illegal. Minimum wage in Australia for an adult full-time employee is $19.43, irrespective of the industry. If you're part-time, you get 20% on top of that. 
Mm. So uh, ASCA has better pay rates than that for our coaches, though. That's the minimum wage if you're, like, picking up dog turds from a school crossing or something, uh, the minimum wage. Uh, we have pay rates then we recommend to employers for our different levels. Now, obviously, a lot of our good employer, uh, employees get much more than that. Uh, for example, uh, I think the elite is like $19,000 or $910,000. A lot of our elite coaches working in pro rugby league are getting one hundred fifty to 200000 So, you know, there's your minimum. But... Uh, that's what we're trying to do. They're saying this is the Australian way. I don't care if other people don't want to embrace it around the world, other organisations or whatever. We will lead the way and set some uh, professionalism and the rest can follow or not. But, you know, we were trying to work with others as, and we are very collegial and, and, you know, we're having meetings all the time, but we'll do our way. And uh, that's why our courses, which are a government certified course and, uh, you know, we get a government card, which I'll show you on video. Mm -hmm. That thing at the top says Australian government. Yeah, see that. Shape. Coat of arms. That's my certification as a coach. Every coach gets that card. So it's not like Jack and Jill's personal training, you know, thing done at, you know, I give you a certificate and blah, blah, blah. Not worth a pinch of shit anywhere in the world. Ours is a government card. And it's very important to us. And that we have the full backing of our uh, federal government uh, to educate and certify people. And they stipulate uh, or mandate that uh, sports use ASCA accredited coaches. Now, you can have other qualifications. If you want to do uh, an FMS course or any other course, sure. Yeah. We want to say, yeah, do your other stuff, do your, what we call enhanced scope of practice, do other things. Have them as well. But you just need to have an ASCA qualification on top of that. You'll say, well, I've got a uni degree. Yeah, that's a, that's a theoretical knowledge. Did your university teach you how to squat and clean? Well, if they did it, some unis embed ASA courses in their degree. For example, uh, Edith Cowan University Masters of Strength Conditioning has the level two embedded in it. Yeah. You still have to do your coaching hours uh, on top of that, but the learning part is, and the practical assessments all in your ECU Masters. There's another master's degree in Australia as well as does, and few of them do it at level ones for the undergrad students as well. So we have the full backing of our government, um, our members. We have linked these coaching competencies to pay scales that are either recommended or mandated if you're in a government job, uh, such as an institute of sport, or either federal or provincial institute of sport. So that's where we're heading, and, and hopefully... Uh, the reason then is uh, we're in demand in, in countries like India, China, Philippines, uh, you know, lots of Asian countries. And, Robbie, can I tell you something right now? Guess where we're coming soon? Ireland. Level, one, level two in Ireland. I know, I know. A certain, uh, a certain Tommy... Uh... Tommy M. No, wait, that's too obvious. T. Mooney. No, wait, that's too obvious too. No, uh, I'll leave it in a couple of hours. I know. So, yeah, and we're going to have uh, a level one and a level two. You, uh, we'll put the link up. I'll send you the link. It's on the ASCA website. Yeah. Uh, this is the first time we announced it. Um, Love it. 
There'll be Tommy, there'll be David Boyle, who's a, a level three ASEA coach. In case you don't know, he played four games of State of Origin. Wow. In the front row. I think he's had more than 23 nose operations. It could be more. <laughs> front row means you've copping four arms. <laughs> His nose has been broken just a few times. No, no, no dive manic breeding for that guy. No. Breathe through your nose. I don't think so, love. I broke it 23 <laughs> times. Yeah. Uh, and Dave's uh, he's still fit as a fiddle. He's like 50-something. He's older than me. And doesn't have an ounce of fat on him. And uh, So he'll be doing the course. And hopefully we'll have uh, one more uh, well-known presenter to help out. Uh, we're just going to sort that out. Uh, and that's what I mentioned. But someone that a lot of people in Ireland will know. Great. Great, that's fantastic to hear. Okay. Can I ask a favour? Mm. Can, can, can the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, can they make it available for purchase, T-shirts that say, don't kill the kids? I think that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> that is so good. Oh, you've been through ASEA, I see. Uh, don't kill the kid T-shirts. That'd be We're so good. Level, level zero, mate, level zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come here, something that came to my, to my memory there, just as you were showing me, your, basically like your driving licence card there. Mm was there was an interview with um, Vladimir Zasiorski, so, you know, the guy who wrote the Science Practice Strength Training 1 and 2, and he wrote the second edition with Kramer. But there's a, there's a famous interview with him on YouTube, and he talks in, that, in, in, the, in the interview about, like, you know, the system he had to go through to become a coach in Russia, and, you know, back in the day with the Soviet Union. And he goes, he goes, he, and he's like, you know, other countries, America, don't have it. Like, this, this interview was a few years ago. And he goes, if I was to have to become barber, I would need license. You know, if you walked into my shop, I'd have to show you my license. Like, and he's like, he, so he just was like saying as a coach, like, so just like, I think it's so profound that you actually have to pull a card out, you know, and, and if you were in Australia, you need to be carrying that around to say, yeah, like, here's my mm. obligation. So again, it, I mean, that's, that, that is the sort of recognition we, we want to get to and need to get to. Um, what happens, Robbie, if a sport and hire someone who is not ASCA accredited, yeah. That sport can lose all government funding across yeah. all levels. Yeah. It was a big, big stick. Now, there's some of them not compliant right now and working mm. what we're going to do with compliance. So, obviously, you don't want to kill one sport's funding because some idiot somewhere didn't, uh, was not compliant with government regulations. But, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll come down hard soon. Just two questions, and then we will get into L- um, LTAD. Is there enough jobs, Dan, do you think? Though for 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 all these coaches, like you know, this no. this this thing of supply and demand, no. and then just the before, and I'll let you hop in on that, and you can you can um, expand more. The other thing too, so I understand this idea of you know accumulating hours with a certain population mm-hmm. um, of athletes in terms of getting the, getting through the levels. You know, like the higher you go up, the more elite the, the athlete has to come through. And you did slightly touch on this, but I'd like you to elaborate more on this. Do you not feel nearly that the best coaches should be with the kids, you know, or at the yeah. at the high school type level? Yeah. And because there, a, there are some outstanding coaches at that level. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly what's happened, uh, Robbie. Is uh, just because you're working with kids doesn't mean you can't be have been a masters coach. We've got lots of our yeah. uh, older coaches now. And it's pretty stressful in pro sports and Olympic sports, especially pro sports football. You know, rugby every second week or every week you, know, you can lose your job. Okay, <laughs> NFL. And sorry for interrupting you, but. Just one quick thing, and I'll let you continue there. I saw a photograph of a staff of an NFL team, and I swear to God, like not one guy looked like he was enjoying life. Yeah. Uh, so what we're trying to say now, and, and some of the good private schools uh, are doing this in Australia, and some of the big 
uh, public schools as well, but definitely private schools, they're hiring uh, the staff of uh, uh, ex, you know, super rugby guys or rugby league guys to work at the school. Because it's, it's pretty, once you've worked in pro rugby league or AFL or something, to go back to a high school, there's no stress. The kids and the parents believe you. You've been there and it's a great thing. So we are getting that back. We have lots of elite and master coaches now going back and saying, actually, this is great. You know, I don't need the money now uh, so much. I, you need an income, but you don't need the, the big six figures. You can go back to school and get uh, seventy or $80,000 and if your wife's got a job and she's getting seventy or eight thousand dollars and you already own your home or most of it, you can go back there and enjoy life and coach kids. And there's something joyous about coaching uh, high school children and, and young adults because they have the joy of life. They're making gains, uh, great gains. Of course, they're making great gains. They're super keen. Um, I always think there's nothing better than coaching 17 to 20 year olds. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Or 16 to 20 year olds. It's uh, a joyous, a joyous process. Mm-hmm. Very cathartic. Um, so yes, with the good coaches should be after they finish in high performance, scale back into the high school system and junior. Very good. And and just that question about in terms of the number of jobs, what what do you think is a the solution there for that? Because it seems to me like there's all these sports science graduates coming out, but it's like, and and who aspire to be S and C coaches, not just sports scientists. And it's just like, well, what do I do, or where do I go? Or? Too many sports science students for a start. Uh, yeah, true. So in Australia, sports science is separate strength conditioning. They're a separate organisation, separate qualification, separate. So you can have a, be a sports science graduate, but if you don't have ASCA, you still can't coach an athlete. Mm. You can just look at data, GPS data. Whereas, so there's more strength conditioning coaches at any club than there is sports science. You only need one or two sports scientists yeah, yeah. to analyse data. It's like, so... They're, they're idiots at their universities think that you can pump out this many sports scientists. You know, you should be pumping out strength conditioning coaches and or in Australia it's called exercise physiologists and they're the ones who are working in rehab with doctors and physical therapists. But uh, they can't work with athletes unless they've got an ASEA qualification as well. And uh, the, the big growth area is, and you, I, I know I've seen it in Ireland, you see it in the UK and Australia and America now, is whilst people slag off at CrossFit and... It, that's their right. CrossFit has made it really cool to do strength conditioning type training for the normal population. Yeah. So my, my daughter used to go to the gym in Melbourne to a, a, one of those 24-hour access type gyms. And they had five hammer racks and platforms. And that's like a, I don't forget what the name of the gym, Fitness First or 24-hour fitness or something. Five hammer racks, bumpers, everything. She could go there and do deadlifts, cleans, whatever. This is unheard of years ago. Yeah. Uh, people now were setting up strength conditioning facilities and you can do strength conditioning type training even as a personal trainer, you know, because people say, hey, I want to do deadlifts. I want to do some cleans. I, I saw someone doing that stuff. Oh, I want to learn how to do a muscle-up. So there w- will be a growth of, you know, there's a limit in high-performance sport, how many jobs? Yeah. Pro sports, Olympic sports, there's a limit. How many teams? Two or three staff at each team uh, in, in rugby league, maybe three or four. Uh, then you got the second division teams, and maybe that's a part-time job. It will be, but there's a finite limit. But as people get healthier and say, "Listen, I don't want to lift two pink dumbbells anymore. Um, I want to actually do something. Yeah. I want to do deadlifts. I want to do high-intensity work on the roller." There will be jobs for strength conditioning in those type of things, whether it's self-employed or, or these box type gyms 
uh, that are setting up everywhere. Um, you know, so, but it, are there 5,000 places? I think I read there's 5,000 sports science graduates in the UK each year. No, I don't think so. Not yet. Yeah, yeah. That's what I heard David Joyce saying on a podcast. He's, he's like, well, he was saying about Australia that, you know, the roughly is about, was there, he, now I don't know where he got the figure from, but I think he roughly said like four or 5,000 graduates. It still sounds like a good lot. But anyway, and he's just like, there isn't those jobs. You know, but it's just interesting to, to, to get your thoughts. And, and that's kind of what I sort of see as well is that they're in the private sector, more sort of facilities are kind of opening up where it's kind of like they're utilizing more of the principles of S&C with sort of, you know, your, if you want to say average person. Mm. So getting into long-term athlete development, I know this is another passion area of yours along with, you know, many other areas, just as we touched on even there, just uh, the sort of future of uh, accrediting strength and conditioning coaches going forward. And obviously the, all the research you've done with elite athletes uh, at the Broncos. So um, you've an immense amount of, uh, you know, published research in that area. With long-term athlete development, you have this six-stage model, unless, you, unless it's been updated since, since I've last seen you present on it. But uh, I, have, I have the stages here in front of me. And uh, kind of what I'd like to do is maybe just go through this and yeah. for the listeners and, and talk about, you know, maybe the genesis of the model and then the model itself. And you can just take it away from there. So in front of me here, Dan, I have the, the stages for strength development. I'll just read the stages and you can get into each one. So you have stage one is the introduction to resistance training via, yeah. body, via body weight. Yeah. Uh, and what we're, we're actually changing that and making it even easier. We're just going to call oh, it... Oh, well, go, 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 you, you, you go ahead then. You can take it from here. Yeah, we're going to call it foundational movement. It's still introduction to resistance training, okay. good body weight, and foundational movements. So using any animal movements, lunging, uh, tumbling, rolling, more body awareness. If it's... Um, what, what, what age? What what age are we we talking about here? Like roughly, I know. Like I know there's a big difference between biological and chronological. Yeah, so so say six to nine. Okay, six to nine. But if, you, if kids start earlier, if you go to a kids gymnastics class or kids judo class or wrestling class at age three, the stuff they're doing, tumbling, rolling, climbing, making shapes. So you know, let's go be like this, or <laughs> let's walk like a monkey. Yeah, just it's fun, fundamental, but using body weight. Yeah. And, you know, say, hey, hey, learn how to lunge. That's the strength exercises. The, the power exercises, hey, learn how to sprint, learn how to throw. And I saw a Chinese male student when I was in Shenyang last year, couldn't, he threw the ball like a seven-year-old. Growth and development, like the same, uh, same leg and arm forward rather than opposite. Yeah. So, I mean, they have a lot of one-child families there and obviously they're up throwing balls like cricket balls and baseballs because you know, it's China, but hey, didn't you throw a rock at something once? So I was clearly not, but <laughs> so yeah, so we're at, basically it's movement and body awareness type stuff in that first stage and learning how to throw, how to jump, how to kick a ball. Forget that throwing and kicking are power exercises. Yeah. So you sometimes you hear these people, oh, he's a great kickboxer, never done any power training. Hey, you hit a heavy bag kicking, that's a power exercise. Exactly. Um, you know, you throw a punch on a heavy bag, that's a power exercise. Uh, but so that's stage one. And then stage two then is, as is then, uh, you know, what we're changing the term slightly now, it's still body weight training, but it's, so the first stage is body weight foundational movements. Mm. The second stage is body weight, but now learning to overload with body weight, so using our push-ups, pull-ups, squats, um, 
split legged exercises, which is uh, split squats, uh, step ups, lunges, and things like that, pistols, uh, planking, and our uh, flexion rotational group of exercises. So there's six exercise groups, and the six ways of making them harder, which is uh, the change of leverage, change of range of motion, uh, changing the plane or angle. Uh, uh, the stability demands, addition of a soft resistance or the giving of a task um, type thing or single limb variation, which is a task. So we, we have six ways of making six exercises harder or easier without doing sets and reps, without even mentioning sets and reps. So that's stage two. So basically the first two stages take us from maybe you know five or six years of age until 13, 14, 15. It's like you mentioned before, it, it, we're trying to say, listen, stay away from barbells till you finish that growth spurt. Because you can be really good at a certain, maybe 12, and, and we introduce barbells, all of a sudden, they go through this growth spurt and they're absolute retards again. But now you're using a barbell. Yeah. And it's, it's, so what we're saying, you know, that maybe 11, 12, 13, you think they're ready for barbells, we just use soft resistance. Use the sandbags or Bulgarian bags and, and bands and, uh, uh, medicine balls and overload with sandbags because they will fit the body a bit better when they're going for these mongo growth spurts where, you know, they just, the kids, some kids, they look like a giraffe just been born um, when they hit these growth spurts. And, you know, there's uh, valgus and various shit happening in the knees or it, within the one rep type thing. You know, and why would we put a barbell on someone like that? Yeah, you, you actually have a great video that you show of a female athlete that your wife worked with when she went through her yeah. growth spurt. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's a, a girl who was a, a gymnast and had good body control. Yeah. Uh, and was a professional surfer, used to be a gymnast, and then goes through her, her growth spurt and all of a sudden, like, you know, you can just see the body change. Uh, she can't get the depth in the squat all of a sudden. And Yeah, it, was, it, was, it really was crazy because the first clip you show over, you're like, oh, she moves really, really well, really great. And then the next clip, she's like way taller. And you're just like, she's like Bambi like. Yeah. And that, that happened in like two, a month or two. Yeah, yeah. Very short period of time. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, and two months later, like so my wife still kept the barbell squatting, but it just for technical progression mm. um and, but really the overload was with the other stuff the medicine balls and sandbags and the pistols and that and but then uh and then two months later she grew out of that growth spurt and uh come out the other side fine yeah uh, but it was a a very tapered and, and measured approach and uh, uh that girl she went away in the australian under 18 surfing team as a 16 year old she got third in the world under 16s but she was the second strongest in the team mm. Now, and I'm not talking about just the women, second strongest. She was stronger than a 16-year-old boy. She was stronger than, there was only one 18-year-old boy who was stronger than, and that was measured in an uh, isometric mid-thigh pull on the force plate. Love it. I love when I hear stories like that. So that was good. Uh, yeah, so that, that's a classic example. Like, yeah, that video, as you said, it's, it's a time split up, you know, over, over six or eight months just to show that here she is, but then, wow, look what happens here. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, because I think uh, what I really appreciate about that video you, you showed was it's like anything. You could read about it. You could hear people talk about it. But until you see it, you're like, whoa, like this is this is like not that you don't think it's true that that growth spurts really disturb coordination in kids growing up. But it's just uh, I, I think it because to 
like when I was younger back in the day, like like I'm 32 now. Like when I was 11, 12, strength and conditioning, like what was that? That wasn't around when I was playing sports. So like we didn't, we we, we were never exp- like there was no lens to expose us through our discoordination. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas uh, when as I got into coaching, I read about like you know the growth spurts and peak height growth velocity and what can happen to coordination to a kid and they're going through a growth spurt in terms of like you know obviously even our sports school but it's it's more even grossly pronounced in certain maybe just basic exercises you see in a recognition program but it's like that old saying too like a picture is a thousand words a video is like ten thousand words so just i really think it drilled home the point to anyone who who was at your lecture and saw the video going whoa like this is a like this is a real serious physiological process but it was so great to see her come through the around and go because by the end of it you're like oh now she moves like really really well again mm, yeah yeah it's and Asked to ankle in her squats and, yeah. and it was good, and she's uh, smacking out doubles on sixty-five with, with the you know one or two still left in the tank. Um, uh, yeah, so it was good and um, really great. Mm. So from uh, that's that's the second stage, body weight with a little bit out of um, soft resistance, and your six ways down to progressively overloaded. How um, how do you continue on? And so stage three here it says the introduction of the barbell. So what does that look like? So we're just saying the first program or two or three programs is generic training. Whether you're doing any sport, hey, learn how to barbell squat. Now, you're in how to squat. You're doing medicine ball squats, uh, sandbag squats, band squats. So we're all doing showing you how to barbell squat, how to barbell bench press. You've been doing push-ups, push-ups in gymnastics rings or TRXs. Now we're progressing to barbell because after a while, these bodyweight exercises, you've been doing them, they don't allow you the amount of resistance to overload you. Mm. And we know we have to progress to barbell training, especially for squatting and, and the hinging uh, type movements. So we're just going to say, you know, we're just going to focus on the barbell versions of the, of the basics in the stage three and just learn to do that. And it's basically higher reps, you know, sets of tens, maybe to eights to sixes to fives and, or twelves to tens to eights, you know, like two or three weeks at each repetition uh, slot. I like to use you know, two weeks of 10s, two weeks of 8s, two weeks of 6s, two weeks of 5s, test the 3RM. Or if they're really a bit, uh, bit less, you know, two weeks of 12s, two weeks of 10s, two weeks of 8s, two weeks of 6, test the 5RM. And the next pro- program would be the one I just said, 10s and test the 3RM. And do that, you know, maybe two or three eight-week programs or, or one. If it's, someone's a gymnast, you might have to do one four-week block because they're really pretty good at body weight. And then stage four is when we go to more sports-specific and relevant training. Because the generic program doesn't have to be sports-specific. Everyone says, oh, I want a you know, really sports-specific program. Mate, we're building a capacity, strength. And to do that, we need to build a motor pattern of squatting and hinging and bench pressing and, and other exercises, shoulder pressing or whatever. So we don't need to be sports-specific while we're building capacity. So that's what general stage three is, just building basic capacity. And then we'll start building more capacity, but in more sport-relevant type movements. So, uh, you know, in stage four, as we start going, okay, well, let's look at what sport you're in. For stage three, we don't have to look at what sport you're in. This needed squat. You need a front squat, back squat, overhead squat. You need to do a, a, a hang clean, a Romanian deadlift, and maybe a deadlift from blocks or floor if you're flexible enough. Um, bench press, narrow grip bench press, incline press, stuff like that. Uh, you know, but stage four, then we have to start looking at, okay, well, you actually have to move laterally. So let's work on some lateral lunges um, or 
you know, whatever is sport relevant to you. Oh, you need more power. Uh, so we need to work on max strength a bit more. You don't need so much power. We need to work on other things. So stage four is when you actually start to get, think like a proper strength conditioning coach. Yeah. School is just, you know, the generic program that'll work. Problem a lot, a lot of people have is uh, they stay too long in stage three or they don't do stage three. Like too long in stage three, you see guys who are in pro sports still doing a generic bodybuilding type program, you know, three sets of eight to 12. That's great at stage three. And it could, it's good for two or three weeks a year or certain periods a year in stage four, five, and six, but it's not like what you do 52 weeks of the year in stage four, five, and six. Mm. Um, so people either don't do stage three, which is rare, uh, but you know, some people think, oh, I've got to go straight into specifics. Specifics, can't even fucking squat. What do you need to, you know? Because we know just getting strong in the squat makes you faster. We know getting strong in the squat makes you jump higher when you're in stage three and four. We know get, getting strong in the pull-up makes you swim faster paddle faster on a surfboard and paddle faster in a kayak. Mm. So if you're in any of those sports, you're going to move faster either running or pulling yourself through water when we concentrate on those basics. You're going to jump higher. And we also see that squatting is related to change of direction. So if you need to change direction, jump or sprint, let's get stronger in the squat. If you need to pull yourself through water, let's also get strong on the, on the pull-up. It's that fucking basic. Sorry. Yeah. I swore again. Oh, you're, it's, it's encouraged on this podcast. Tell me this though, Dan. Did, did, did it happen often when you were at the Broncos where some players did turn up and their level of development was still out of stage three? Or, or, or... Oh, yeah. yeah. If they come from another club, they come from another club uh, and maybe they already played at NRL, some of them were like stage four bench press, but they stage three squat. I never squatted before. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, they done a half squat knee dip, you know, it's like, so that's almost like a squat. <laughs> but, you know, so you just have to start back at the basics with them. Um, and so, sorry, sorry to interrupt you again. Could you talk me maybe through that process? Because you know, as a coach too, you get someone like that and they walk in and they see the guys who are ahead of them in terms of their physical preparation. And, you know, they see the guys you know, they're benching and they're squatting and basically like they're animals. They're at stage five, five, maybe even stage six and they want the bone. Like, and you're, you're having to say, no, you don't get the bone yet because you're still at stage three, particularly like that's a great example you gave too. Cause there is so many guys who might be stage four or even five with upper body work mm. because, because you know, cause they're typical guys like, and yet they have this little underdeveloped stick figure, lower body. That's probably maybe even probably even back at stage two at, at, a, at a point. But how did you, how did you deal with those situations? I uh, just explain. Well, like, I said, it doesn't matter where we start. It matters when you finish. Don't worry. I'll make you strong. Just follow my process, and I give them a lot more personal care. And, and sometimes you see that with the under twenty squad, the academy squad. When you say you got guys who are in academy for three years, mm. and you get the new recruits in the 17 or 18 year olds so if i'm taking a session with those guys i would say to my more experienced guys guys i won't be able to spend much time coaching you today technically because i'm going to work technically more hands-on with these guys okay but so make sure you coach each other and but if you need my hand or if you want me to spot uh watch your last set to give you coaching cues and look at your technique just call me over but that they would be pretty good and they would like to be empowered like that so i i, I yeah. maybe in a session of 12 um, I might have um, six, two groups of three who are fully experienced and, and six new guys who have come in in the first uh, slot of under 70s, the first time at the 
Broncos Academy and, and uh, I might have to work closer with them hands-on. I said, boys, it doesn't matter if we're starting with empty bar or 30 or 40 kilos. All that matters is where we finish on this journey, not where we start. We're just starting today. Catch these guys up in two years. They're 19 or 20, you're 17. In two years, I guarantee you'll be lifting what they're lifting. Uh, now, if it's an NRL guy, they, they want to jump the guys that don't, mate. We're, you know, if you go too heavy, you're going to get fucking sore and not going to be able to run. Yeah. And you know, Wayne Bennett doesn't like when guys can't run. So. <laughs> but they, they were, I had never had any problems. Every, every guy uh, followed what they were supposed to do. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, obviously, like you're saying, some guys are competitive. And they see someone in the same position with their big weight, they want to think, I'm going to do that. And I want them to be competitive and say, yeah, you'll lift that weight. Not yet. Not this week. Not next week. Not for a few weeks or months. Trust the process. It is going to happen, but it will take time to pr- graduate to the, you there safely. I will get there. What about even those guys, though? So th- th- that's, that more so describes the fellas that were willing to, you know, do the exercise like you know they wanted to let, let's say squat but they just weren't in a position to to put the load on that they wanted initially what about those guys you know who just are allergic to lower body work but you're like listen you have to do lower body work or you're not you're not progressing in the stages here well i'm pretty lucky at the broncos that didn't happen yeah the guys come on another club i've never done squats before well you're not at that other club anymore mate you don't get a fucking say here <laughs> <laughs> You know, I say, as you know, Rob, you probably saw that shirt when a guy said, I don't want to squat today. And I had that shirt harden the fuck up. I still have that. You gave me that. Yeah. So, you gave me one, yeah. so I, I, I no, there's just not an option there. Yeah. Well, Wayne Bennett would come in as a head coach and he was like fucking 60 and he's doing squats, you know? And so if a head coach is 60 and he's squatting, what's your fucking excuse? Yeah. 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 You know? uh, so, I never really had that. There's guys in other sports, in rugby union, some guys try to play that card with me when I work with rugby union. Um, they're like, if you can't squat, you can't play. If your body is too beat up to squat, how can you fucking play? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and obviously there, there's a difference between, you know, off-season, pre-season, in-season. And then when you're in-season, obviously you're trying to manage fatigue and in the lower body and obviously the prescriptions. And obviously there's individual and all that. But... Yeah, I, I I get where you're coming from. But everyone, you know, what I do is, people think they all have to squat heavy, and I don't think no, no, we squat to your ability. So if your ability is like 120k for one, and we're doing five at 80 percent or roughly 80 percent, you know, RPE eight or something, well then you'll use that weight. Maybe it's 95 kilos for you, and for another guy, you know, for Shane Webb, it might be 180 kilos or or some, you know. It, it's irrelevant just because he's in the same position. Uh, they're different things. It's to your ability. So it's, you know, I, and even then, like I said, percentages, as we know, is a little bit flawed, but it's a guide. So I had two guys could bench 157, and one guy's a fast switch fiber motherfucker. He, you know, he can do one set of five on 125 and then he's like tapping out. The other guy can do five on 142. Yeah. So one guy can do five at 80%, and then I, then he won't get five on a second set. You know, you have to drop him back to 115 or something. Other guy can do three sets of five at 90% because he's a slow twitch fiber. But they both bench 157. One guy 142, one guy 125. Yeah. I'm so when, I do, when I'm doing three sets of eight, the guy who benches, the, the explosive guy, he can only use like 90K, hmm. 95K. Now, the other guy, he can use 130. 
three sets of eight, but bench 157. So there's 40K difference, but they bench at the same one RM. But sets of eight, the explosive guy, you know, one set of eight, oh, dad, I hate 10. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we have to accept that. When we say, well, listen, you're not in trouble because you're fucking more explosive. It's, this is your building. You're explosive. Your sets of eight is even proportionally lower. You're like 65%. The other, other guy, he's doing 80-something percent for eights. The yeah. rest of the group are doing like 70, 72%. We just have to train people to their abilities within the scope of what we're doing. We're saying it's a day of three sets of eight at RPE 8 or RIR 2 or whatever you want to, however you want to describe that. 80, 70% or 80%, whatever, is just a guide. Your RIR reps in reserve or RPE is really what, helps you fine tune it for that individual so as long as we have our prescriptions we just train like that i think a key thing you, you said there a few moments back was you know trust me so you, you know as the example you were giving when you were talking to you know uh, a hypothetical athlete who who is underdeveloped there and, and like they wanted to just get into like the 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 main train like the rest of the guys who are ahead of them in terms of their development and you were you kind of said you know i just tell them trust me you know trust the process because that really that like the more and more i talk to elite coaches and even people who are more say into the mental preparation aspect they keep coming back to this sort of concept that like the number one ingredient for success between friends wife and husbands teams any relationship business it's trust so like it seems I mean, you just sort of said it in passing there without kind of maybe you know recognizing like that you maybe even kind of touched on it but touch and communication seems touch excuse me trust trust and communication seems to be such huge things and maybe just before we finish up about stages five and six can you maybe just talk about your time with the broncos and how you developed those relationships with the guys uh it's, it was a different era when i started it was a mid-90s and uh pay tv had just come in and there was a super league war uh and guys just got a massive pay increase overnight. And there was a, uh, a bidding, there was a revolution and some of the teams left the league and there was two different pay TV companies were fighting over it. And uh, it was a different era. So the guys have just gone from being semi-professional really to full-time professional. Yeah. But their mindset, some of them were still semi-professional. You know, I'm getting an extra 200 grand and I don't have to lift weights, but I want to. Nah, <laughs> not happening, mate. <laughs> so... It was a little bit different era. So first off, I was very, uh, and this is what the coach wanted. Uh, we're trying to change a culture from a semi-professional. I was very dictatorial because okay. um, that was what, what was needed. It was almost military. We're trying to take guys who are semi-professional, make things compulsory until it's ingrained professional. So it was very dictatorial. But a lot of the guys in league like that, they're working class guys. They just like to be told what to do, don't, you know, leave your brains at the door, lift this way, do this, um, trust the process type thing. So I was pretty dictatorial first off. Uh, but in saying that, a lot of the guys enjoy that. They don't just, they're there, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Um, so that was easier like that. And that was a different era. And obviously with the, with the top guys, you're not dictatorial. Because uh, they played X many games, won so many grand finals, even before I got there. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, you tell them what to do, but not in a dictatorial or aggressive manner and say, okay, guys, we're going to do this today. Let's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Whereas the younger guys say, just, and we start questioning you, why do I have to just, just fucking lift, will you? <laughs> uh, but, you know, you stop, stop annoying me. Yeah, just, you know, why do I have to do this exercise? Why do you have to wipe your ass? Why do you have to eat green vegetables? You know, why anything? Um, but as time gets on uh, and uh, the new era of guys come up, they embrace professionalism more. So it's a lot, uh, don't have to be so uh, dictatorial. Um, I would still, I prescribe everything for every player. The training groups, every single weight they lifted. They never chose a weight, I chose the weight. Um, chose their training partners, uh, chose all their exercises. And that was the thing. Just trust me, I'll, I'll get you the results. If, if, you, if the result is not a chain, it can only be two people's fault, mine or yours. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm going to set you these goals. I'm right in the program. If we do the work I put in this program, we should get the goal. If we don't, and there's not an injury involved, it can only be two people's fault, yours or mine. And I kept, kept stats on those things, and it was like 90% of the time, I'm right at achieving the goal. So in 10%, that's wrong. So uh, therefore, of those 10%, is it uh, due to an injury? Is it the player? Or is it me? Um, so you know, I say to the player, I'm right 90% of the time. So on the off chance that I'm wrong in setting your goals and program, if we go to the coach and talk about this, who do you think he's going to fucking believe? <laughs> me or you? So he's going to believe me because I'm right 90% of the time. And I write the coach's program and he gets his goals. So you better fucking train hard because it comes back to you now. So, but most of the guys are pretty good. Like I said, I, I can't remember too many guys that uh, weren't good trainers at the Broncos. They wouldn't last if they did, you know. They'd be there for a couple of weeks in the preseason and hate it and, you know, opt out. So you, you don't remember them anyhow. One thing I really took away from your lecture, one of your lectures, was the vast amount of data you collected over the years and kept. And one thing you said was that one of the reasons why you collect all that data, aside from obviously wanting to do research, was it gave you something to always defend your programming and coaching to if it was ever questioned in terms of like, if you had to go to the head coach, you were like, listen, here's all the numbers. Here's everything. And you were like, it's almost like a like an insurance policy. Can you maybe just touch on that? Cause I like just touching that for coach you were listening. Cause I thought yeah. that was a very profound statement. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, and you, you see if uh, I can send you a slideshow, but uh, some slides, big thing, the Broncos was accountability, mm. your personal accountability to do your job, to turn up ready to train, ready to play and be accountable for your performance. Now, as a coach, I'm asking them to be accountable. Like I said, I'm keeping stats on, uh, on my programs, on my results. And that's my accountability. So I want my players to know that I'm accountable to myself and to the coach. And I'm also accountable to do the research to try and stay up on, uh, to up to date on, on a wide range of things. Guys would ask me, oh, I heard about something. So I would either know it. I say, I don't know it right now. I'll do research when I go home tonight and find out what you're talking about. You know, I'll be accountable. If I don't know it, I'd be embarrassed. If I don't know something that have asked me, I'll say, I'll go home and research and find out for you. You've got to be accountable. Um, so keeping data um, and results and, and stuff like that helps you be accountable uh, to the program you write and to those athletes because, you know, they, they, their career is depending on you writing a good program. I mean, yeah. there's 17 to 20-year-olds 
they get two or three years in academy and then get to 20 or whatever the age your academy is and something happens at age 20. You either get a pro contract or you don't. What's the difference between a pro contract and second division contract? A couple of hundred thousand dollars. So what's that? That's setting up someone's family for a long time. You know, so we've got to be accountable so that if a kid doesn't get that contract, it's through their two things. It, you know, it might just be their ability. There's a lot of great kids who've tried really hard, fantastic trainers. They're just not good enough. Uh, so same as I was not good enough to represent Australian powerlifting. I'm just not good enough. Would love to have, but I'm not good enough. Fair enough. But... If that kid had felt that I hadn't trained him properly to attain those results, I would feel bad that anyone ever felt that. I don't want that ever to happen. So I was always trying to push them hard, strength-wise, fitness-wise, speed-wise, whatever. And every single guy who ever made his NRL debut come up to me afterwards and said, Man, now I know why you're pushing us so hard and fitness or strength. It's so much faster than, you know, the second division. I, you always hear about it, but until you're out there, you don't know. Thank you for pushing me so hard. I've got to work even harder now. I've had this 15-minute taste off the bench, and wow, it blew me away, the speed of it. Thank you for pushing me. I, I, I'll work harder for you now. Every single one of them. And if the guys who are at an NRL level, when they go to origin, they say the same thing. They say it's just, it's like football, but faster. Yeah. So they had the first out of origin the other week for this year. Normally, an NRL player moves at about 100 metres per minute during the game. The first 10 minutes of origin, the guys were moving because of GPS. I'm showing on the replay. Top players were moving 130 metres per minute for the first 10 minutes. I don't know what the rest of it end up. So you're going to be prepared to go 30% faster in this origin for 10 straight minutes over and above what you're conditioned to. Mm. So we always say to them, listen, when you go to that next level, it is always at least 10% higher. That was 30%. So a second division or academy game, instead of averaging 100 metres per minute, they average around 89 to 92. So it's going to be 10% higher when they go to NRL. And, and they could go to origin, it could be 30% higher. So we're always going to say, listen, the next level that you aspire to get to, where the money is, you've got to be better than you are now. I've got to push you. If you don't make it, it's on ability. Yeah. I, hopefully it's on ability. It's not on the right programming. I'll be accountable and try and do the best programs and set up the best situation, give you the best training partners that will drive you to achieve what you want to achieve. But, you know, some guys are happy to just achieve second edition, so yeah, 25 grand or whatever. Which segues nicely into wrapping up here on the long-term athlete development pathway you've outlined here. So stages five and six, this is kind of like, uh, this is where everyone wants to get to. So five is advanced maximum strength training, sports if you train. So this is where bands and chains come in. And then six essentially is just a continuation that will maybe more variation, elite maximum strength training, sports specific training, more individually specific says here, and reserved for highly experienced strength and power So maybe just touch on five and six to wrap that up. So, five, so normally stage four goes from maybe uh, 16 or 17 through to 2021. It's basically the academy years. or well, the last year of high school, depends when you start. Hmm. Uh, and it depends on what sport you're in. But uh, and then through the your academy or development years is stage four. Maybe uh, some kids age 19 or something would hit, hit stage five 
just depends on their strength training background and how they progress. And then stage five then is basically all the good stuff. You know, we're, we're, we're doing all our cleans. We're using bands and chains for both strength and power. We're doing all sorts of stuff, a wide, wide repertoire of uh, stuff. Um, so it's a really good training. Like, and it's just a continuation of stage four. Um, but you know, adding bands and chains and, and mainly and, uh, and more exercise variations than we had in four. And four had more exercise variations than three. So it, it's basically the, the good professional training. And that will last to maybe from age 19 or 20, say, in a rugby player through to you know, 26, 28. The training doesn't change really at 26, 28. You, just, you might have some injuries where you can't do this exercise yeah. or you can't jerk anymore because uh, you, know, you dislocated your elbow and locking out jerks hurt so okay well we'll do jammer or one arm jerk on the other side or something or you can't clean anymore because uh, again you've had a discounted elbow okay we'll just do power shrug jumps same sort of hinge or explosive triple extension pattern but we had to modify it a bit more or uh, you know a few things like that so it's just basically doing the same stuff but uh, hey you can't do this version anymore we'll do this version instead that's what I mean by individualize it's just shit happens sometimes you know different sports uh you know but by then guys have lifted 10 or 12 years because if you're talking 28 year old they started maybe 14 or 15 doing stage three 10 or 12 years of barbell training that's pretty experienced guys yeah, yeah. you know if you mentioned squatted pretty much every week of your life and uh, you know done your hinge movements uh, from stage three so we're talking pretty experienced guys and they're not really gaining strength then all we're doing is trying to get them uh, so what we see in high-level sport is that the shorter and shorter the preseason, because um, guys, whether it's tennis or, or, or rugby or, or whatever, track and field, you're going to compete or swimming, you're going to compete more to make money. Mm. So the preparation periods are shorter, so you don't have the time to overload them. The results you need to live off your career, you need to achieve that from age 16 to 22 or so. After age 22, you're competing so much then, and the preseasons are so short. All we do is uh, try and get you up to your PB level and then we're just in maintenance again because your season might be 30-something weeks long or 40 weeks long. And if you look at the French rugby union season, you know, it's four-week pre-season, boom. How can you overload? I mean, you can overload in four weeks, but you can't overload an elite athlete to improve their one RMs or their fitness, not in four weeks, not so easily, you know. You're 29, you've played in France for eight years, you <laughs> know. You've done a lot of maintenance training, so much development training. So that's pretty hard, stage six, you know, when you've got guys who are pretty experienced and you've got short pre-season. So I just, if you give an example, some of the Broncos guys said that if we win the grand final, we'll get in the semifinals. And after that, there's a six or eight week uh, test series. You know, they might play for Australia or England or uh, New Zealand or Samoa or Tonga or something. And those guys don't finish playing till uh, mid-November. The players' union rules are they have six weeks off, so that takes you up to Christmas time. Well, Christmas, we have holidays in Australia. Everyone, other player union rules, all players are off for about eight or ten days after Christmas, New Year. So those guys then don't come back to the 3rd of January. So their pre-season, then the first game is uh, mid-February, so we have a five-week pre-season with those guys. We have a trial match, so we have a pre-comp, so we have lifting four days a week for about five weeks, then two weeks or three days a week, and then we're in maintenance. We'll test, and then we're in maintenance. So, you know, in that six- or seven-week block of pre-season, you, you just get guys back to their PB. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, they might have had five or six weeks off lifting, 
after the season. We tell them have some time off, regenerate, and then you know maybe mid December go to the gym and do some light bench and squats to prepare your legs and upper body for when you come back in January. You know, a few runs and some you know fart leg work or something. Do start that in maybe early December or mid December so you don't come back. You know, sitting on the couch sucking down forex for eight weeks or something. I get you. Listen, I won't keep you too much longer because you I mean you're you're only after coming off a flight and you're in England and London now and you've only just checked into the No, I've been here a week, mate. Oh have you? Sorry, I thought I thought you only I thought you said yes in the email you were checking in at two PM today. Yeah, I'm checking in. I was up at uh, Milton Keynes. Ah, uh, you're in another part, I get you. Still oh, still 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 a bit of travelling though. But uh I just have a few little more sort of quick fire ones and you can just rattle them out. Um one thing I do want to ask, I know you're not as involved coaching day to day. Um, so you mightn't, you might maybe have a reference point to answer this, but I want to ask, have you seen a difference in the, and this, I was going to say young males, but I mean, this could be females too. Have you seen much of a difference with the athletes that present to you nowadays? Like in terms of like how they show, not even just physically, but mentally, emotionally, like are they very different or removed from yeah. what you'd experience later or earlier on in your career? Yeah, yeah they, I've had to, ch- I had to change coaching styles a lot more uh, towards the end of the career. So what worked, like I said, Early days, uh, I had, you had to have a different style. Um, I had to, at the end, I had much more entertaining as a coach towards the end. Uh, and uh, do you, do you think do you think we're softer? To put it to put it mildly, uh, not not necessarily, not necessarily, but I think uh, uh, no, because guys are coming through this train and they're actually stronger. I got all the results, you know. They, Guys coming through now, uh, they're stronger in bench press than they were 20 years ago. Squat is not generally. But even I'm even talking. Sorry to interrupt you, Dan. I know that's sorry. I don't. I know that can be annoying. I I even mean just from a mental and emotional perspective as well, not even just physical. Like, do do you feel that they're it's the same or different or up or down or in in all aspects of physical preparation like so the that you know so you have your physical your psychological your tactical your technical so let's just say with the physical and psychological generally softer i think there's people are so, some people are softer if there's some kids that are just you know uh i was talking because there's some kids playing the nrl now that now they're in the rugby league um raised by their grandparents or raised by someone else, you know, because their parents were hopeless or druggies or alkies or whatever. Mm. And those kids, they've just battled through everything to get a chance. So I think there's some kids who are mollycoming. If I could give an example, it's not from me, but from Steve Magnus, you know, our our lecturer up that we had at St. Mary's. And he he talks about something about the, uh, the California quotient. Steve's a middle distance and, and long distance running coach. And, uh, and when they were recruiting people, he, he gave me an example. If they recruit someone from, say, LA, mm. uh, a high school kid going to college, you're only going to get so much improvement out of them because those kids have trained so much and, you know, uh, had everything given to them, you know, a good running coach and sewer, blah, blah, blah. But if you get a kid from the Midwest, that kid's probably grown up on a farm, worked hard, did wrestling in one time of the year, cross-country running, football, played three different sports, didn't really specialise, but a good work ethic. Um, and has a little bit more untapped potential. So it might be that uh, the city kids have lots of more opportunities and they probably might have a sense of entitlement or they get these things, whereas country kids uh, or kids from farm areas or rural areas, 
Uh, I've had probably less opportunity and probably maybe embrace it more and uh, also, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think they just embrace an opportunity more and don't complain as much with a sense of entitlement. It's like yeah. uh, Mick DeVere, who's a famous Broncos player, when he first came to the Broncos, they had to get a bus, two buses to training, take him an hour to get to training. Uh, but he asked the Broncos, he begged them to Wayne Bennett, St. Wayne letter, Bennett, a personal letter, please, I want to play for you. My, my club is shit. And Wayne said, well, come up here, I'll see how you go. And found him a place to live in the other side of town just to see what his mental toughness was like. Kid turned up to training every day, hour on the bus, hour and a half home. Now some kids, oh, I can't get to training. <laughs> I lost my life deep. I left, lost my license drunk driving or something. But I can't get there. I haven't heard of fucking Uber. Haven't heard of a bus. Haven't heard of walking. You know, like, so I think it's more maybe just uh, a sense of entitlement or not a, a sense they haven't been challenged. Yeah. Um, we've spoon-fed them or someone spoon-fed them. When I say we, someone spoon-fed them too much. Um, but they're, they're the ones who won't win you a game when it's 8 all. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of a really good story by, I don't know if you know who Neil deGrasse Tyson is. He's yeah. an astrophysicist, you know, Neil? And he was on London Real. And, you know, a lot of podcasts and interviewers, uh, they asked this standard question of, you know, if you could make a phone call to your 18-year-old self or 20-year-old self, what would you tell yourself? So he was asked that question on the podcast and the grass I said, I tell myself nothing. Because he's like, you know, he's like, every experience that I've gone through, I was meant to go through and it's led me to be the person I am right now in this very moment time in this conversation I'm having with you. And he went on to give a really good sort of, you know, reason of why he believed that. And he was like, take for instance, the immigrants that went to America from Europe broke you know bad background and they through just pure shill will and hard work made something of themselves in america and when they had kids they're like i want to give my kids everything you know i don't want to have to suffer like i did i want to give them opportunity and then their kids grow up to be absolute assholes <laughs> and the parents are like where did we go wrong we gave them everything they needed and neil degrasse Tyson goes that's the reason why and it's not that you don't want to give you know opportunity to your children or to protect them from certain things but they still need to be stimulated and challenged there's a balance there like so i just found that you know very very good in, in terms of you you're talking about like and it's not just you i've heard other people say this and listen as i said to you before we hopped on the line you asked me how am i doing i'm like dan i'm, I'm, live, I'm you know from a first world country living in a first world country i'm spoiled like i i got all the ace cards from the get-go with the life i was given i'm so grateful and lucky for it um, so I say that as a person from this position, but it's it's just being we be, being aware that you know we do need to be challenged and stimulated and have adversity for personal growth. Like, and I just thought that story to grass Tyson told was so true. And you know, because from my coach perspective, I saw too with kids who have been coddled, and like you know, in one way you could be real resentful towards kid, but then in the back of your mind, you're like, listen, I understand why this kid is the way he is because it's the environment he's in. And like, there's been part, times in my life too where I was a little spoiled brat being coddled too and I needed, a, what I actually needed was a root up the hole to be honest and it would have done me the world of good. But uh, that just resonated with me. I really love that story from, from Neil deGrasse and thanks for your input there. You're one, mate. Dan, wrapping up, um, what is next for you? Because, you know, you're in the, you were in the trenches for years. You were basically, listen, and I don't mean to say this to make you sound old, but you are like the OG of... Uh, being a practitioner and a researcher you know molding like you've inspired so many people to be not just you know a scientist and not just a coach We're like oh you can actually do both it's like 
Yeah. Like, you know, Daniel Martinez is your one of his biggest mentors. There's so many like Tommy Mooney, like myself, you know, you've been a huge influence on us. Um, and plus you're just a savage, you're a legend. So we love being around you because you're a great crack. But what is next now? Like you do so much traveling. Like what, what's your drive right now? You really seem like you want to leave a legacy. Maybe you do. Maybe I know some people are a bit weird about the word legacy. And even point, yeah, I'm, I'm weird about the word legacy. I, yeah, some, some people are weird about it. But my, my question is like, what's, what's the drive now in this chapter of your life? What, what, yeah. what, are, what are you hoping to build and leave behind? I know we touched on it with the Australian Strength and Condition Association, but you know, what's driving you now day to day? Yeah. Can I just say about legacy? He's got to call bullshit on this now. When I was, used to watch the UFC, my wife and I, and the champions get on the fight there, and they talk, had those interviews for the uh, champion and his cont- uh, uh, contender for the fight, and the champion says, now, I, want, I want to leave my legacy. Like, oh, fuck, he's going to lose. <laughs> Every guy who talks legacy loses because he's thinking about the future and he's thinking about himself in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Um, fuck, I'm just going to knock, knock this fucker out or submit him or whatever. They start talking about legacy, and my wife goes, oh, fuck, we know he's going to win the fight now. Fuck. Pay-per-view too. Fuck. You know? <laughs> so that's why I hate the word legacy. I, I associate it with fucking people losing title fights. And right, I, so I, I take that back. I take that back. Then. What's- no, it's okay. Uh, so, but... <laughs> um, I do want to... Uh, you know, I, I'm uh, heavily influenced by a philosophy of living from Bali, where I where I live. It's uh, called the uh, Tree Hitha Karana, which means is basically they say for your mental well-being and uh, prosperity, you need to embrace three things: uh, your relationship with higher forces, whether it's God or fucking whatever you you know things that you can't control. Yeah the higher forces and, and your relationship to that. You, you need to be in harmonious balance with other people and harmonious balance with your uh, environment. What I'm trying to do is, is make sure that strength conditioning coaches are, have a more harmonious balance in their lives. Uh, they don't feel overworked, um, underpaid, underappreciated. Um, now, if I do that, if I can help people to improve our profession, and uh, I'll be rewarded with some form of karma, uh, which is the other part of that. Uh, uh, so I, I am trying to make sure, basically for my ASCA members first off, and hopefully the rest of the world can follow, but I can't influence, I, I can't directly uh, output other organisations, but even if I am a member of them, uh, it's for other people. But for ASCA members first, I want myself and my board and our members want this that we are a profession that we are seen the same as physical therapists yeah. or speech therapists or chiropractics and uh, we have uh, relationships with them you know they recognize us so we have a memorandum of understanding with australian sports phys- physical therapists with australian sports nutritions the australian sports chiropractors the doctors, they, we have a memorandum of understanding they, that they recognise us as a profession and we recognise them. Uh, that's another part of this government thing that you have to have memorandums of, memorandums of understanding about what your role as a professional is. So I do want to make sure that when I'm finished as president, um, people can know that I'm an ASCA accredited coach 
the minimum I get paid is this if I go to an employer. Obviously, if you're self-employed or whatever, it's going to be a different story. Um, but I, I want that to be the thing that people say, yes, I'll do this as a profession. And I know that my pay outcomes, um, you know, I'm not getting screwed over by the club who says, I'm, we want you to work for free for six months or you're going to get 2,000 pounds or something, you know, some shit thing like that. Um, so I just want that to happen. That we, I, I, And I just mean me, I mean my board, our board, ACA, not my board, our board, uh, achieve that for our members. Uh, so it doesn't affect me. Like I, I'm not working as a coach, I don't work as a lecturer and stuff like that. So it's for my members, yes, and I want to do that. And uh, that'll be really good for a lot of people if I do that, I think. And uh, it'll also be very good for a lot of athletes because if we have better practitioners, the athletes will have better careers. And one of the things we are actually working with now is, I won't say it, but like a, um, putting fillers out with some of the players' unions to make sure that they understand, you know, if you're a professional athlete and you get one more year and you're on $750,000, happy days. But if some idiot trainer with a not ASCA qualification does something stupid for you, you just lost maybe $750,000. If you're an Australian athlete, you ain't... Australian athletes, we don't have college sports like in Ireland, England, the US... So a lot of our guys or girls, they don't have college degrees. They're going to make their money as an athlete. You know? Um, you know, where guys can't spell the word job, some of them. Uh, so getting one would be quite hard. So <laughs> we, want, we just want to make sure that um, yeah, our, strength, our ISCA members have a, uh, especially our professional members, level two and above, have a rich, rewarding career and are recognised as a profession, same as other professions are, physical therapists, whatever. Yeah, yeah man, I, I highly respect what you're doing. And you made me laugh there when you said, you know, Bali, where I live. And I was like, yeah, whenever you're there, yeah, you fucking, 90% of the time you're somewhere else in the world. Yeah. I'll, in the next, I'll be in the, there for 10 days, then I'll be in Australia for a week, Bali for two days, China for a week. Bali for eight hours, Australia for three days. <laughs> the life and times of Dan Baker, people. Yeah. Dan, what sacrifices have you had to make over the years in your personal life because of, because of your coaching and, and, and whatnot? What's that, what trade-offs had you, had you had to make? Oh, I had to give up competing in powerlifting. That's about it. <laughs> Not that bad. Not that bad. <laughs> but uh, I, I used to love it, but now I can't compete because I'm always traveling. And even when I was at Broncos, it was too busy, you know? Um, yeah. That's about it. Now, everything else has been pretty good. I don't see it as a sacrifice. It's just part of the job. I mean, great stuff. I don't care. I, 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 if people see it as a sacrifice, they should do something else. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Louis Simmons would be. Louis Simmons would see that as, 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 the end, as the end of his life. He had to sacrifice powerlifting. Sure that's Louis's world. Where, so, something I, I want to ask you is, uh, how do you learn? What's your learning process? I mean, you're an extremely, you know, intelligent man when it comes to the, the world of strength conditioning, sports science. What's your learning process? Uh, yeah, actually, yeah, this is. I'm a really visual learner. I like to read, and it's really difficult to see. I, I do these podcasts, but I don't like listening to podcasts. <laughs> I don't. Th- I don't think that person. I find it hard. To- I, my wife listens to the podcast and she tells me if I did a good job or not but um, 
I really struggle to learn uh, uh, from podcasts. A lot of people do learn really a lot from podcasts, you know, and, and maybe if I was driving and I could put a podcast on, I would learn from them, but I don't know. I, so I like to read. Hmm. So every day I probably spend an hour reading journal articles and shit like that or other people's training things, you know, might not always journal articles because a lot of good coaches don't write journal articles. Here's my program. So I might get a couple of websites and look at that stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, so about an hour a day, but it, for me, that's not homework because I enjoy reading. I, know. I, just, I find reading very relaxing, reading the newspaper, reading anything. I, I like to read. So if I combine relaxation with my doing my job, that's good. So about, about an hour a day, I like to read. Is there anything you do, Andy, if Dr. Andy Galpin hears this, he'll, he'll spank my wrist because he says he hates this question. But anyway, I'm still going to ask you. Is there anything you do on a daily basis that's essential to your day? Besides have coffee in the morning. <laughs> that, that's people's a lot of questions, yeah? Or that's a, lot, a common answer people give. Uh, Probably training or movement, isn't it for you? You, you like yeah, to train yeah, them every yeah, day? Yeah, I, I like to train. Like, uh, so if I'm in Bali, I can... We normally, uh, if, if I'm not interrupted by travel, I train six days a week. Um, wow. Uh, um, but if I'm sometimes I'm surfing, I might drop back to four or five because the, the volume of surfing can impact my shoulder uh, mm. health a little bit. So just a bit, if there's not much surf or I'm pretty busy or I, I just want to train, sometimes I'll train rather than surf. Um, but normally I'd like to train, yeah, six days a week. And if I don't, train on the day i don't train i have days off i normally go for a, a walk long walk or something so i'm still moving i, I like i like walking as well uh, i suppose when you live in bali walking's quite fun there's a walking track above the beach yeah. an hour along there in front of the surf and you know see all crazy shit you know <laughs> um so i but even on the sub we're in, in australia also i like to walk an hour a day if i can if i'm not too busy so train and walk walk my low intensity recovery uh Training is training. So I don't call walking exercise. I call it uh, act- recovery. Active recovery. Yeah. Good one. Last two for you. Okay. So um, usually I ask for a, a top and current book recommendation, but it, it can be any resource. It doesn't have to be a book. So what would be your top resource that you'd recommend? And then just with regards to reading, is there a top book you recommend? And are you currently reading anything? Ah. Uh... And this could be this could be anything. It doesn't have to just be within strength and conditioning. I always say to strength and conditioning coaches read Sun Tzu: The Art of War. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I first read it in nineteen eighty eight. A lot of people recommend that book. Because well, what you need to do when you read that book, think of the the emperor as the CEO or the chairman of the board. Think of the general as the coach. And then you'll see the interplay. Yeah. Um, and it's fairly short. You can read it in a couple of hours. It's like, you know, Sun Tzu said this, that. Um, but there's a lot of things on there on discipline and deception and stuff like that. Uh, so I, I always just say, if you're going to be working at an elite high-performance place, there will be always friction between uh, a, a coach and someone above the coach, especially when the coach is not getting results, you know, I'm Shit, the board will be under pressure to sack the coach or change coaches or something. You see that in soccer, football in Europe all the time, you know, like a, um, So The Art of War. Great. It's just a good book to understand 
those two forces that you might get stuck in the middle of because <laughs> now sometimes when the coach gets sacked new coach will sack you because they uh they bring in their own people because a new coach uh, like a, when a lion takes over a pride they often kill the cubs of the previous dominant male yeah to leave no dna trace so when a, if your head coach gets sacked new coach will probably sack you because you work with the previous coach and you're loyal to that previous coach and you bring their own people in so you need to know the machinations between the head coach and the chairman of the board or the ceo or whoever it is who wields the power very good so that's just about that part um now for reading a book obviously if it's a book um obviously the one that i had a chapter in uh, david joyce and dan luden's book you know high performance sports is always a good one good book, yeah. um if uh you other things i think you should just probably read uh you know uh australian journal and the journal of strength conditioning research is good as well and uh I think they're pretty good, and obviously UK SCA Journal. So they're my main things I, I try and read. Um, and then what happens is you read that journal, one of those journal articles, and you find something interesting you didn't know, then you go down the rabbit hole chasing references. Oh, I haven't seen that reference. I haven't seen that paper. So then I go down the rabbit hole, but that's my friendly little hour, you know. So, um, <laughs> then your wife is like, come on, we got to go. Yeah. Oh, well, my wife, I just buy a French champagne, keep her happy. <laughs> Things haven't changed. That's how it all started and it still still happens. You just you've you've just you just kept you've just kept her drunk all these years. That's why. <laughs> Actually, yeah. The day she showers up is the day she'll leave. Oh, this guy. <laughs> she, she, yeah, she's probably looking in the mirror and go, geez, I'm good looking. He's not. What's happened? <laughs> <laughs> All right, last last one for you, Baker. Kilos and uh, she told me she's thirty nine point one kilos a day. She deadlifted uh, three and a hundred, so she's still strong. Oh man, that is that's one woman I'm not going to fuck with. Uh, last one for you, Baker. All right, and uh, interested to hear your your answer for this. And um, what I will say to you before I ask is just whoever comes to your mind, just say because I asked this question to some people and they get real sort of panicked because they want their answers to be real profound. And it's one of these questions where like later on you might go, God, I should have maybe said that as my answer, but we'll just see how we go. I'm taking you for dinner and I say to you, listen, you can bring five people to dinner, dead or alive. Who would you bring to this dinner and why? An immediate family doesn't count. So like your wife is already coming. So if, if you could bring five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would you bring and why? And they, and they would tell you anything you asked them. <sighs> And they can be fictitious too. Like, so if you want to say, can I bring Batman? It's like, yeah, that counts. So just, they can be dead alive, uh, real or fictitious. If you want, I can give you my five if it stimulates you. I would bring Imhotep. Who? Imhotep. You're going to have to send me the reference to that person. Uh, he was a grand vizier. He's a guy who designed the first pyramid, the step pyramid of Saqqara. Wow, I didn't didn't know. I just learned something brand new there. That's great. Uh, he also was like a, a doctor. He was like the, the smartest man of ancient Egypt. They they still have a stable prayers in Motep because he was also a doctor. I look into that. Thanks for that. That's brand new. Motep. So as in because what he did was he was the first person who built massively. So yeah. what was a change in mindset to say 
okay, we're going from a mastaba and making a fucking pyramid, even though it's a step pyramid. And what were the changes? What, what was the change in, your, in the mindset and engineering? That's fascinating. Do that. that's, a, that's a great leap in humankind to build monument in stone that's however many metres high. I don't forget how step pyramid is, mate. Yeah. Or 80 metres high. Before that, it was just like a stone building. That's the first evolution in human thinking that changes and how we see things. And how did he come to that conclusion? How did they work that out? Yeah, I'm completely ignorant to any study of, of Egypt or of just in history. So that's fascinating. Thanks for telling me that. Um, and the listeners. Uh, so I've got four more now. you got four more, yeah. You can take your time. It's not rush. Because uh, we can always edit the dead time. So it's no, no rush. Alexander the Great. Okay. So... Again, his desire to conquer just kept going. He wanted to conquer all the world, but he kept finding, as he went through Asia, he thought, where's the last country? No, he keeps going, mate, keeps going, mate. His troops went mad and said, fuck you, we're not going to go home and, you know, enjoy the loot. <laughs> I swear, I swear, just over that mountain will be, will be the last well, place. That's what they kept saying to him. That's what they kept saying. And the end of the world's there, the end of the world's there. And he's hit fucking India and they so um, headed back to Baghdad after he, in India. Uh, Alexander the Great, I mean, because he's the great. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's a pretty sweet name to have, the great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah not Alexander the Mediocre or something. <laughs> that was his second cousin twice removed. <laughs> Why can't you be more like your cousin? Oh, don't talk to me about him again. <laughs> uh, three others. Holy shit. I suppose you'd have to have, no. Well, I was going to say, you'd have to have Jesus to find out if he's the son of God. Yeah, he's a common enough answer, yeah. I'd actually, he's at my dinner too, because uh, similar to you, like whether he was real or not real, just to to kind of sit in the the presence of the entity, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, he's a real person. We just got to find out if he's the son of God. (laughs) I'll tell you one thing, he's not fucking, he's not white, I'll tell you that. I knew you couldn't be living in that part of the world, those statues were bullshit. <laughs> yeah. uh, so then we got two more. Oh. I've got Jesus, got to have Buddha. Yeah, he, I'd say he'd pack away some calories if the statues have, have his uh, physique, right? There's, there's, there's two parts of Buddha, there's a, he almost starved to death. Yeah, then I, uh, just as I said that, I was like, but didn't he do like a lot of like fasting? Because his, yeah, yeah, his whole thing was suffering made you realize that, you know, you were, you were actually he like... died and a village girl brought him back to life and gave him some rice and some water. Then he realized this is stupid. And that's when yeah. he says we should go the other way and enjoy things. So that was a profound thing. That's when he had achieved that state. But um, anyhow, yeah. Uh, Buddha. One other person. Have something funny. <laughs> well, here, uh, you'll be fairly entertaining anyway. You're the comedy. Oh, yeah, I don't know. My wife, well, she'll be there with the champagne anyhow, so I'll be there on the grog. Those are four great guests, by the way, so far. They're all ancient history, aren't they? 
What is he thinking? He's thinking. You're thinking hard. I like this, though. You really are genuinely giving a thought. I appreciate it. I'm such a history buff, see, so I, I'm always thinking history people. I'm a, I'm a history tragic, especially ancient history. I'd be more into recent. I, I studied the wars, World War One, too. A lot of American history, too. I love the Civil War and independence. Oh, jeez. Thief in thought. Yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to think who would be. It, 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 yeah, do I want to know stuff or? Nah, yeah, it's. Hmm. <laughs> the suspense. Oh, you fucking got me stuffed, mate. I don't know what the fuck it's saying now. I'll get here. We'll, we'll edit. Out, we'll edit all that. You tell me yours. You tell me yours, and that'll, that'll probably stimulate my mind because I'm under pump here. So again, this is the thing they changed because again, depending where you're, who you've been reading all that. But five people I would bring thinner. So there's a gentleman. You probably haven't heard this guy. This guy called Joseph Shilton Pierce. And he, he's a number of books he wrote. He only passed away in 2016. He was old. He was actually in World War II. But he wrote a ton of books on child development, parenting, spirituality. And just his writings had a big profound on me on understanding human behavior. So he'd be one. I'd lo- I, I actually, when I found out he passed away, I was devastated. Because like, I was like, I really hope I get to meet him some way before. And then he passed away. He was one. Another guy is a guy called Jacques Fresco. He, he's one of the, the guys behind what's called the Venus Project. Basically, he was a futurist, and he only passed away recently, too. He's over 100 years old, and he developed, like, this resource-based economy where his whole thing was, like, the world will be gone of monetary economy, and how the world will function is we'll take these inventories through artificial intelligence, like machines, like computer machine learning will say, this part of the world needs this irrigation and this crop and blah, blah, and he was like, you know, people will work and the reward is that they'll have a planet that sustains them. Like, so we'll disassociate with money and monetary systems and all that. But he would have been a really great guy to sit down with. Uh, Jesus would be one, as I said to you. Uh, and then probably Abe Lincoln and Martin Luther King would be two other people. But other other people who, who kind of hop in and out of that at times, depending. Um, Nelson Mandela would be another one. Um, I've read, a, I've studied a lot of JFK, John F. Kennedy, I'd love to talk to them about the Cuban Missile Crisis and just say, like, what was really going through your mind at that time? Because, like, people don't actually realize how much we owe JFK. Mm. Like, at that time, like, the world could be very... Like, so many worlds could be very different. I mean, yeah. you know, if yeah. Hitler didn't fuck... If Hitler actually sustained bombing in London and didn't do the fucking thing to Russia, what could have happened, you know? Because London was just yeah. about to cave. Churchill would be interesting to talk to, I think, to a certain degree, even though he probably would annoy me because he's, he's real imperialistic wasn't he like at the same time you know the british are brilliant but still you got to respect the 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 belief you put in but maybe some names anyway so the first five i named there joseph Shilton pierce jock fresco jesus abe lincoln i've studied a lot of lincoln too love to just talk to the man and uh martin luther king they'd probably be my five i'm still stumped (laughs) (laughs) you can all you can always send you can always send the fifth person to me it's no big deal 
Yeah, I might send the fifth one when I think about it. Go. That's no problem. I, I, mean, I appreciate the four you gave me. Before we wrap up here, where Probably can... have 100 beers tonight and think about heaps of shitloads of people. So you're going to know. You're about the Pope. So, will, you, yeah. will you actually, will you, will you, will you, I'll send you an email to remind you if, if you get a chance. Yeah. Just send me the name of that first person, the Egyptian guy. Yep. Um, just so I have it right. Because I, I link up everything in these show notes, like everything we, and anyone mentioned, like even like you named one of your Bronco players. I have to go look him up now. Um, but Dan, before we wrap up, where can people find out more about you personally? Where can they find out more about the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association and anything else you got going on? Uh, so the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association uh, is www.strengthandconditioning.org. Okay. Um, and you can go there and you've got course dates from different places of the world. Like I said, we do courses in India, China, Philippines. Uh, we're doing them in Ireland. Yeah. Soon this year, uh, obviously Australia, New Zealand, you know, all over the place. And we'll do, we go to almost anywhere if people want us to do a course. Um, yeah. Uh, That's great. And That's if great. people want an ASCA but they uh, and they already have a degree, we also have a recognised prior learning uh, where you can uh, help get an ASCA qualification. There's obviously some hoops you've got to jump through and be assessed by someone, but you can be assessed online basically by video. <laughs> in now uh, you're lifting and stuff like that. Um, me, I have my own website called uh, www.danbakerstrength.org. Yeah. I've got some free articles in there. It's, you know, a lot of stuff on velocity-based training, which is uh, the thing that we have coming up and, uh, you know, what we're developing workshops for that will be announced soon. Um, some some workshops that uh, we're going to do around the world uh, on velocity-based training. So, or at, Using velocity in training, it doesn't have to be velocity-based training. We're just you know, using uh, measures of velocity to fine-tune your training a little bit better mm. um, and drive intent and drive uh, better program decisions, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, my website's got some, a lot of information on that stuff. Um, and if people want to email me, they can email me via my uh, website. It's better if they email me rather than send something through Instagram because I don't know how to use Instagram in that Instagram account. My wife does that shit. Uh, <laughs> so. listen, uh, that's going to be all linked up in the show notes. So the links to the uh, anything to do with the uh, Australian Strength and Association will be linked up, and the link to your website will be linked oh, up. Too. Cool, thanks, mate. So everyone can just look at the show notes. So I'll say goodbye to you offline. So uh, I think uh, I want to end. I want to end <laughs> this conversation with, with saying uh, the my my favorite Dan Baker line from this interview. Remember, people, don't kill the kids. <laughs> that's right alright no seriously though no, from me and from Dan thanks for your earbuds and I'll talk to everyone soon peace Tree Hitha Karana Tree Hitha Karana